It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07 on a Saturday morning. This is a great day. We're broadcasting live from the 32nd Annual Fall Atlanta Home Show and Outdoor Living Expo at the Cobb Galleria. Folks have already started arriving. And if you want to come and get your questions answered personally, bring pictures, bring your iPhone, bring a baggie full of weeds, whatever you have. If you'd like to come and get your questions answered personally, you can come to the Cobb Galleria. Just say reliable at the door. They'll let you in. You can see the radio show. You can see Dave Baker later this morning. And when the show opens at 10 o'clock, then you get into the Fall Atlanta Home Show for free. One of the things that um, I meant to mention earlier, we talked to a caller about fescue sod and what she should do to control weeds, etc. in that. And one of the other considerations for planting fescue is that you can't put fescue seed down and put a pre-emergent down at the same time. Pre-emergents are chemicals that keep any seed, fescue or other weed seed, anything else, they keep those seeds from germinating. And it would be sad, sad for you to put the fescue seed down and put a pre-emergent over the top and none of your fescue would come up. That's what pre-emergents will do. It depends on the chemical in the product that you use for a pre-emergent as to how long you have to wait before you can seed fescue. Many times it's six weeks, maybe even eight weeks, depending on the product that you have. Be sure and read the label and know how to use it and when to use it and that sort of thing. But in general, in the fall, if you have a reasonable stand of fescue, say 50 to 70% covering your lawn, generally I would say overseed and don't worry about doing a pre-emergent. Go ahead and put the seed down and culture the fescue. Make the fescue your own pre-emergent. Fescue, if it's really thick and really growing fast and mowed at about three and a half to four inches high, is a fabulous weed control agent. You can use the grass as the weed control rather than depending on chemicals to do it for you. So that's one thing to think about. When you plant fescue in the fall, you can't put a pre-emergent out because that will ruin your whole day with doing that. Speaking of planting grass, let's talk to uh, Mike in Lawrenceville. You're on News Talk WSV, Mike. Good morning. Morning, Walter. How are you? I'm fabulous. How can I help? Well, I was going to see if this would be a good weekend for me to plant some ryegrass. I think Brother Kirk Mellish says the temperatures are lower right now. The uh, partly cloudy and maybe a chance of a shower works in your favor. I think this is a perffect weekend to plant ryegrass. All right, Walter. I sure do appreciate so, it. So why, give me more of the story, Mike. Why are you planting it? What's the story on it? Well, I've got my backyard mainly shade, so all my grass dies every year. So I just go yeah. ryegrass out in the shade, and it does real well to about middle of june june right. July, and august it just burns up it's the only thing i can grow well i understand good. that i mean it you could put if you, it, if you wanted to you could put fescue seed out and it would probably suffer the same fate by june or so it'll be all dead from the shade and heat as it as it builds during the summertime so you could possibly plant fescue underneath there but i think it would suffer pretty much the same fate the ryegrass does yeah i've tried everything there's so much shade my, my buddy at the golf course says you can't grow grass in the shade. Your buddy is right. He's a wise man, and the man on the radio <laughs> says the same thing. Grass needs sun. Grass is not like shade. Do what you need to do and have the green for at least part of the year, and then you have to mulch it or do something else, I guess, the rest of the time. Yeah, so he told me buy ryegrass. It's cheaper than fescue. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, That's, I suspected I, yeah, that was the... I'm a rye out. <laughs> yeah. 
I suspected that was the actual motivation for putting ryegrass out. It is cheaper than fescue seed if you're going to have the same fate. Might as well start with ryegrass. Mike, it's great yes, talking sir. to you. Thanks for calling. All right, you too, Walter. Thanks. We'll see you, man. Steve is out in Athens in the Classic City and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Stevie, good morning. Good morning, Walter. I want to first say how much I've enjoyed your program listening to you in the, uh, in the mornings. Listen, got a problem. Um, several, several years ago, I planted 14 Leland cypress trees. And, of course, when you buy stuff, some people don't tell you they are not a native of, of this part of the country at all. No, they're not. That's right. So, after they get about 10 foot tall or so, the tips of them started dying. Then the next thing you know, the whole limb, then the whole tree. Well, I wound up cutting down 14 Leland cypress trees. Oh, man. Well, I got with a tree arborist, and he said that in uh, this territory that we live in, your yellow cypress tree would probably be the best in that. And doggone if I ain't done that, and this has been about four years, and if they're not doing the exact same mm. thing. What's what? going I don't, on? I don't even know, Steve, what a yellow cypress is. What is that plant? Um, it's just exactly like your Leland cypress tree. It's right. Like a fern tree, like. Okay. Like. Yeah, sort of. And it's got a yellow, a yellow tint. I was uh, wondering if it's a camisipris or one of the right. arborvitaes or something like that. Right. Okay. But anyway, the question is, they're all, all having the same symptoms. They all have brown tips of branches, and then they go away and die on you, right? So I planted four of those, and darn if I didn't pull up two of those Saturday. No. So um, I can't watch the Georgia Bull uh, talk <laughs> either planting and pulling up. So right, right. Do you have an idea? On the Leland Cypress, I'll tell you the thing that is most... Um, stressful on a Leland Cypress because as you say they're not native here. You want to take a guess Mike or Steve I mean do you want to take a guess as to where Leland Cypresses came from what country or what part of the world? Um, I know in the mountain. It was, it was a cool country you're right but it was not specifically in the mountains but it's actually from Wales in Great Britain. Wales is where Leland cypresses were originally found. There was a sort of an accidental cross between two other plants that resulted in four or five uh, Leland, what they call them, because Mr. Leland owned the land, the Leland cypress, and they grow, as you know, very rapidly, and they, you know, have, have been introduced all over the world. But one of the problems with the Leland cypress is that they do not care to be dry during the summertime. And what do we have in Georgia during the summertime? We have dry weather and droughts and things that last two or three weeks with no rain. And the bark on the Leland cypress is very thin. It opens up during dry seasons, and some of the fungi that make cankers will enter that wound, and you end up with the tips of the branches turning brown. And then sometimes the canker moves back into the rest of the tree, and the whole tree dies, and then Steve's not happy, and, and neither am I. But that's sort of the story of why Leland's in particular sometimes, if they're not given a good place to grow, if a place that dries up pretty quickly, then that's why they have declined, I guess. Well, you ought to see my, my water bill because uh, I did water them, but I also, too, found out, see if I'm right on this one, I don't know for positive, 
you could either barely hit it with a weed eater or barely hit it with with your lawnmower. Yeah, that's where that fungus and all that stuff comes from. Don't nobody tell you that until you done invest it all. Yeah, time. and I told you, you know, the bark is thin, and so you're exactly yep. right. You bang it with the lawnmower a couple of times, and all of a sudden the canker's in the trunk, and now you don't have a you have a dead Leland cypress. Yeah. So let me get let me get to the nub of the answer, I guess, Steve, that I need to tell you is that there aren't any sprays that will prevent or do canker relief for you, whether it's on the yellow cypress that you're growing or the Leland's that you've already dug up and thrown away. And so basically the most of the time the only advice I have is to prune it out prune the, the limbs that are brown out and nurture the trees as you already doing. you're watering them real good I hope and uh, just let the tree itself fight the fight because a fungus is, or a fungicide is not going to be much help to you at all yeah all right so prune and cheers sure that's what you need I sure do appreciate it I'll definitely try that and about the grass that you're talking about I was listening to one of your programs uh, I did exactly what you said, and I got a beautiful front yard. Oh, that's awesome. That's terrific. And, Steve, and thanks so much for calling. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll see you, man. Comes on now. We got who? Jane is in Lilburn, Georgia, and Jane joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jane, good morning. Good morning. Thanks How for taking my call. I'm excited sure. to talk to you. I've got an encore azalea I, played, I planted about a year ago, and evidently I didn't. Uh, improved the soil enough because it hasn't yeah. even put out a new leaf or a blossom, hadn't oh, gotten man. taller, hadn't done squat. So I'm wondering <laughs> if I could go ahead. I'm wanting to uh, enlarge that flower bed just a little bit and wondered if I could go ahead and move it or dig it up and prove its little hole right there and make it bigger and, and then print it. Or should I wait a couple of weeks? until mid-October. You no, know, I think it would be better to wait a couple of weeks if you can. If you feel like you just have to do it today, probably no, you'll don't. be successful be moving it. Let's, <laughs> let's go to October. Let's go to October a little bit. When it's cooler, not as much demand for water on the Leland that you dig out of the ground, or the uh, Encore, I mean, that you dig out of the ground. Yeah. I think it would be safer to wait two or three weeks. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Now, I've got about 30 or 40 hours in that bed. And I'm thinking of moving them, or should I wait? Oh, I yeah. No, this is, this is great. Great time to move iris, day lilies, uh, most anything that's already bloomed during the summertime. They're just right now sort of getting prepared to go to sleep for the wintertime, and it won't bother them particularly to be dug up and divided and replanted and all the things you need to do. Don't cut the leaves off of the iris, by the way. Some people believe you have to cut the leaves off or cut them into a sort of a fan shape, and that really uh -huh. isn't necessary on the iris that you divide. Just get the nicest, biggest, healthiest-looking roots with a, a bunch of leaves attached to them and plant them wherever you want to. What about all the brown spots that come on the tips of those leaves? On the iris, you mean? Yeah, they're kind of some of them are brown. They get the a special. The there's there's a disease called obviously iris leaf spot that uh, gets on iris and it generally doesn't do a lot of damage to an iris bed. And so most folks don't spray for it. If you really felt like you needed to, I guess Jane, you could do get one of the fungicides from a garden center to spray on it. But it typically doesn't do enough damage that people think I've just got to go and spray to save my irises. It just didn't doesn't get that bad. Okay. All right. That's great. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you, Jane. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Our number is 404-872-0750. We'll talk to Al in Luthersville in just a minute. Right now it's 718, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. 
This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. It's 724 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. We're broadcasting live from the 32nd Annual Fall Atlanta Home Show and Outdoor Living Expo at the Cobb Galleria. You can come see us if you want to. You can get into the show for free if you come between now and 9 o'clock and just say the code word reliable at the door. And Ashley Frasca has suggested we do the weekend prize pack right now, and I think that's a great suggestion. So we will assign Ashley the job of thinking of a number between 2 and 7, and I will describe what the weekend prize pack consists of, which is a pair of two-day passes to Music Midtown. This is awesome. That is some money right there. September 18th and 19th, Piedmont Park, Elton John, Van Halen. I think Def Leppard is going to be there. A lot of people that are big music acts going to be there. It's produced by Live Nation, of course. And they also included is the McDonald's $25 gift card. So for a pair of two-day passes to Music Midtown, the McDonald's gift card, Ashley Frasca, who's going to win? We'll make this a little harder. Caller 6. Caller number 6 to 404-741-0750. Caller number 6 gets to go to Music Midtown and have a little lunch at McDonald's maybe before that. Coming on the phone right now, Al in Luthersville joins us. Hey, Al, good morning. Hey, good morning, sir. Hey, I How have can I uh, some, I got some snowball bushes in my yard. I have one up by the house, and I have seven or eight down in the lower part of the yard around a pine tree. They've been there for three or four years, and they green up nice in the spring, mm-hmm. but they can, none of them ever bloom. Oh, man. Do they get a lot of light? I mean, you say they're under the tree, so they, did they get some light out? Yeah, they, uh, they get uh, sunshine, full sunshine. Anywhere from noon or one o'clock on for the rest of the mm. afternoon. That that should be sufficient, I think, for snowball bush. And we're talking about the bush that blooms the white flowers in what April, May, I guess, is when they bloom. White, blue, pink, anything would be nice, but I get nothing. You get nada. Yep. For situations like this, sometimes I'm at a loss because they sound or the description sounds like the environment is good. It's got enough light. It's going, you know, not in a swamp or something like that. All I can suggest, Al, is that you fertilize them. You know, right now wouldn't be a bad time to fertilize. Use one of the slow-release organic-type fertilizers like uh, Melorganite or Hollytone or or, uh, one of those and use that on it according to the label on the bag. And that will simply press more leaves to come on it. And the more leaves you have, the more likelihood you're going to have flowers. So that's all I can suggest you do is just try to fertilize and get more leaves on it and maybe, maybe, maybe Next year, you'll have some flower buds, and they'll bloom for you, and you will not have to call me again. Fertilizer, that's what I recommend. It's 727 at News Talk WSB. We'll be right back after news. But what can you do? It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 735 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. 
I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I am here to help you be more successful in your lawn, in your landscape, with anything you have to do with the outside world. I can give advice that's based on experience, based on research, and sometimes tempered a little bit by my own gardening exploits, which not all the time are 100% successful. I have killed more plants than most people listening to the show, and so I can typically find out what's going on and what killed my plants and then tell you about it as well. Our phone number for the Lawn and Garden Show, 404-872-0750. We're broadcasting live this morning from the Cobb Galleria, and we are having a great time. People coming in, asking garden questions personally, get them answered here personally, and then they will get to stay until 10 o'clock when the show itself opens, and they'll be in for free. And you can join us here at the Cobb Galleria for the 32nd Annual Fall Atlanta Home Show and Outdoor Living Expo at the Cobb Galleria. Going to the phones, we go with Greg and Monroe. You're on News Talk WSB, Greg. Hey, good morning. Hey, Walter. Um, listen, I have a oak tree that I was wanting to find out kind of what's going on with it. It has uh, black spots about, I guess, uh, eye level, four or five of them on the outside of the trunk. And I was wondering if some insect has invaded the oak tree or just what's going on with it. Do you smell anything? Does it smell like vinegar or alcohol, Greg? Uh, not that I've noticed, no. All right. That, that's the definitive thing because there are two reasons or two causes of um, dark black spots on the trunk of a tree. One of them is called slime flux, and slime flux is characterized by smelling like vinegar or alcohol and a lot of bugs you know, buzzing around. It's sort of foamy as it comes out of the trunk of the oak tree. And then there's another condition called bleeding canker, and bleeding canker doesn't smell. So I'm thinking, okay, Greg has probably, probably bleeding canker on his tree. And in both cases, the treatment is the same, whether it's slime flux with the foamy stuff coming out or a bleeding canker, it just looks dark. And it is to keep the tree watered or to keep it healthy. If it were real droughty right now, I'd tell you to water the tree heavily. But you can't do anything about them. And eventually the tree in most cases will stop. They'll stop the, the, the slime flux. and It'll stop oozing things out of the uh, bleeding canker too. So... To be truthful, you don't have to do anything, Greg. Oh, that's good news. That like is that great news. Like that. <laughs> that's the kind of advice you always need. Don't do anything exactly. about it. Just forget I about it. it. Well, thank yeah. you Bleeding canker. That is exactly what I think you have on your oak tree. Mary Ellen is in Lilburn, and she joins us on Lawn and Garden. Mary Ellen, hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a vegetable garden that we've been do- gardening for over 30 years. Had the soil tested in the springtime, we put in manure, ten, 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 and peat moss. Okay. Uh, the vegetables are growing, but not producing. Hmm. The one thing that I would question is the peat moss, actually. I know peat moss is sold as a soil amendment. It's supposed to loosen and lighten and make better drainage in garden soils. But my experience with peat moss is that many times it is so dusty, the particles of peat moss are so small that they're pretty close to the particles of clay and things that you're trying to break up. And unless you have a coarser material, I don't think the peat moss is doing much good for you. So Mm -hmm. if I were amending your bed, it might be um, some of the real sort of chunky um, um, soil conditioner. Even pine bark mini nuggets I've used before, they're real chunky. And mix that into the ground so that it makes the soil a lot looser and it doesn't pack down in the rain during the summertime. Okay. So that's what I think you could do if you want to amend the soil bed is get some bags of either the sort of chunky um, um, big particle soil conditioner or use the mini, mini bark chips. Okay. So that'll help 
like the plants are growing, they're just not yeah. producing. And so what I'm suspecting is the soil has hardened a little bit due to irrigation okay. and rain and things like that in the summertime. Okay. And it won't harden quite as quickly if you have these coarser materials mixed in. Do that now? Uh, if you, uh, have you finished harvesting everything in the garden? you still got some tomatoes or squash left on? Uh, tomatoes are gone. Yeah. Peppers is all I have left. You know, harvest the last couple of peppers, amend the soil, and start your fall garden. You do broccoli or lettuce or spinach no, or we, anything else? No, we mostly stick to the springtime. All right. Well, if okay. you want to start, that would be a good thing to do before okay. you start with your fall garden would be to amend it with the things okay. I mentioned. No fertilizer. And then plant. No, I don't think so. Not not this late if you're not going to garden in it for the fall. No need for fertilizer. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you, Mary Ellen. Thanks so much. Okay. We'll bye. see you soon. Bill is in Roswell and joins us with a question about his. Good morning. <laughs> the vine that you're talking about, Bill, is so often called scuppernine or muscadong or something like that. So the yeah. native vine, muscadine or scuppernong, is another name for it, too. And that's what the vine you have, right? Yes, it is. It's the golden variety. And. Uh, this plant has been in the ground at least 50 years, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it had accumulated. It's on a trellis, and it had, well, on, on a flat arbor type bed yeah. that it's on, and it had accumulated approximately four feet of vine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Over the years, it's never been trimmed. So I came right. in last year thinking, oh, wow, I'm going to trim this thing down to the bare basics, and it's going to produce tons of fruit. It was doing mm -hmm. okay as it was. Yeah. Well, it produced tons of vine and zero fruit. Ooh. So, how do I do this properly? It's supposed to be in order to in order to make fruit on a scuppernong muscadine plant. They need to be pruned enough in the in the late winter so that they have new growth, lots of real vigorous new growth that comes out and that supports the flowers and then that gives you the scuppernongs you were expecting. So, I would have thought that you would have fruit. So why, maybe just, it was just so much removed at one time that it shocked it back into a more juvenile growth stage. That's a possibility. But I think what you need to do is don't let it get ahead of you again. So honestly, you're going to be out there in December, January, maybe this year on a ladder trying to trim off the stuff that just grew this year. And I don't know if there's anything better to do than that. Okay, that's the key word I think I just heard you tell me is January, December or January is when I should be trimming. Sure. It's got to be cold weather when the leaves are off. You can sort of see what you're doing up there. And one of those uh, electric hedge trimmers are real handy for doing things on top of that arbor. Uh, you know, sometimes the arbor isn't very strong. You can't climb out on it or anything. So you're doing it from the side. You need some way of reaching in two or three or four or five feet maybe. And so a good uh, hedge trimmer is what you need. Okay. Yeah, I need to produce more than vine. Yeah. And are you fertilizing? That's another thing, Bill. Are you fertilizing the vine? I uh, did not this past year, but I mean, I'm seeing this thing, and I, it's it's uh, it's out of town. Yeah, but get it, it get some uh, ten 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 or something like that, and fertilize it in. Let's see, early March, right when the buds are swelling up on the vines, do some okay. ten ten ten, and for a big vine like that, ooh, easy a pint, maybe two pints even is what you need to give it enough energy and nutrients so it makes a lot of leaves because again the leaves are what lead to the fruit and that's what you want is a lot of fruit they gotta have a lot of leaves okay i'll report to you about this time next year with my success story then. and if you want a delicious dish if you want a delicious thing to eat for dessert go to my website at walterreeves.com and type in muscadine hull pie oh 
Oh. Good <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, let me hang it with you, Bill, for just a minute, but I'll tell the rest of the audience what, what muscadine whole pie is. When I was a kid, we had lots of muscadine vines. My dad loved to grow muscadines, he had several varieties. And this is sort of an apocryphal story, but it's more true than it is false. And that is that my family would sit around eating muscadines and the grapes, in other words, and listening to the Georgia Bulldogs. And we would pass the jar from kid to kid and say, spit the, spit the skin, spit the holes of the muscadines in this uh, jar. And then my mother would collect those hulls and boil them and sanitize them and all that, take the seeds out if there were any present. And she would make a pie that you could put uh, vanilla ice cream on the top. It was as good as any rhubarb pie you've ever had in your life. It was sort of the combination of sweet and sour at the same time, sweet and tart, I guess. And for us, that was the berries. That was a thing. We liked muscadine hull pie. Many of my friends that I've described this to wrinkle up their nose, say, "Ew, <laughs> that doesn't sound good." I will let you be the judge. It is scuppernong and muscadine harvesting time right now. If you can get some and save the seeds or save the hulls, the skin, any way you want to, maybe not spit it in a jar or anything. But if you want to try this muscadine whole pie, try it. The recipe is at WalterReeves.com, and let me know how it tastes. I bet you'll change your mind about it. David is out in Sandy Springs and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, David, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Thank How can you I help? My call. Sure, man. Uh, I was given a uh, runner of a rosemary bush, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, and um, I've been, I planted it in a rather large pot. It's doing very well. But um, eventually I'm going to have to uh, transplant it. I'm not sure where in the yard or near the house or away from the house do I need to put, be putting this. It's, per it's perfectly hardy outside. It will stand wintertime temperatures very easily. And uh, so it would probably be a lot happier in the ground than it will be in a pot. Even though you've got a nice large pot to have it in, rosemaries typically can get pretty big and the pot limits them a little bit and it's harder to keep the pot watered like it ought to be and so frankly i say dig it take it out of the pot dig a big hole plant it outside in the full sun full sun that's full right. sun yeah and somewhere near the kitchen if you want to ever use the rosemary for cooking or something then somewhere that's easy to get to if you need to make rosemary sprigs for chicken or some little shish kebab or something like that then you can have it handy to you if you put it near the kitchen door okay excellent okay, full sun that's full that's sun yeah. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hey, man. Thanks for calling, David. It's one of the things about rosemary during the wintertime is they're often sold. Pike certainly sells a lot of the rosemary topiaries that have been trained to the size of or the shape of a Christmas tree. And they're very attractive, very um, decorative. You can put it in the house, of course, for uh, the Christmas vacation, Christmas season. But generally speaking, you don't have much success at all keeping rosemary growing indoors during the wintertime, almost immediately, I tell people, take it outside after the Christmas season, plant it outside, even though it's cold. And the rosemary, in general terms, will survive winter just fine. If it was five degrees and a big you know, snowstorm, hailstorm, it's going to be hurt a little bit, but it's certainly not going to be just killed by freezing temperatures. Rosemary is a very, very hardy shrub or, or herb, and there are forms that are upright, the barbecue and a couple more that are just upright, very you know, high in the air, maybe three or four feet maybe high in the air, and there's some that are trailing, and the trailing ones go over the edge of walls, look very attractive as well, so you can choose the one that you like, and uh, 
You can grow your, rose, grow your rosemary and enjoy eating it as well. It's 747 at News Talk WSB. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And it's 7.54 on a Saturday morning. Quick update on the weather. Ackerman Security brings this to you. It's going to be a really nice day. You heard Kirk say a minute ago, the highest day in the high 70s, not in the 80s or the 90s. High 70s overnight in the 50s. Much cooler than we expected this previous week. It's going to have various small chances of rain, just a pop-up shower here and there. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Just now, I was telling stories about the uh, origins of plants and the audience here at the Cobb Galleria, people coming in through the back door right now saying reliable is the code word to get in, and they're learning a lot more than they thought they would by coming to the Lawn and Garden Show. Dick, is it Derek? It was Derek, excuse me, Derek in Marietta joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Derek, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How can I help, Derek? So I've got a, uh, we bought a house about two years ago and the lawn had never been like touched, you know? And yeah. so, and I love, I, I mean, I kind of pride myself. I, I came from a Bermuda lawn, so it was fescue. Um, there was a little bit of shade. And so I just, you know, aerated it, put fescue down and it bloomed up. I mean, you know, compliments. It was lush, yeah. green, yeah. beautiful. Looked great. Sure. And then it died. I mean, and it died like a horrible death. <laughs> and it was embarrassing. And then and then I did it again last, this past year. Fall, same thing. And then summer, same situation. Just dies out on me. So two questions. When do I need to start the, the process of fescue? And then how do I keep it alive when, it, like, after the spring, it starts getting uh, hot? Because I keep it long. That's what they say. Don't cut it short. Good. I kept it long. It's smart. One of the things you can do that really makes fescue happier is to aerate because fescue roots, if you can get them down below three, four inches maybe in the ground, they tend to withstand summer heat and stress so much better than fescue that has really shallow roots. And unless you want to take it all out and dig up the lawn and um, you know make a new lawn completely, aeration is about the only thing you can do to loosen the soil down to the two or three inch level. So that's one thing. Do it at least once a year. Do it one time in maybe, well, right, September, right, October would be great. Huh? Yeah. Say again. Say that again? Uh, right about when I put the seed down, like do the aeration then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can do, do, uh, do it simultaneously. Do the aeration and then put the seed down or put the seed down and then and do the aeration. October, doesn't said. much matter. But do that at least once a year. And uh, if you want to do it a second time, sometime in March would be about right in the spring to do it one more time. But loosening the soil makes fescue so much happier. So it's able to withstand the heat in the summertime, which is what causes it to do that swoon that you sort of described. It looked great in the spring and early summer, and then all of a sudden July comes and it all goes right. downhill. So uh, making deep roots on the grass is what you're aiming for, and that'll help the fescue not look so bad. Even that said, it's going to be tough to keep fescue from fading just a little bit. Nighttime temperatures above 70, 75 degrees is really, really stressful on fescue. Right. Okay. And so, thank you. And so, I should start that, if I start the aeration and all that now, should I do it this weekend or wait a couple of weeks? 
I would listen for the weather report. If it rains and uh, you know I've got a free day a couple of days after it rains when the soil is nice and soft, that is exactly the kind of, of weather that you need. Try to do it when it's soft enough, the soil is soft enough for your lawn that you can really get those tines of the aerator down into the ground. If it's real dry, wait a week or two until Kurt says it's going to rain and then do it right after it rains. That's the way to time it up. It's 7.57 and one half at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden broadcasting live from the Cobb Galleria. We'll be back after news. Yeah.